Hey church, we are so glad you could tune in to this message today. I pray it will inspire you, that it will challenge you and encourage you once again to take a step of faith as we live out the call of God that he has placed on our lives. Before I start today, how great was Ruth last week? She shared an amazing message on hearing from God and the gift of prophecy. There was some absolute gold in there, so I encourage you, if you missed it, go and catch up on that incredible teaching. I know that you will be blessed in doing that. So we're continuing our Everyday Supernatural series today based on this book by Mike Filavacci and Andy Croft. This is my incredibly cracked copy, not Ruth's almost pristine version. <laughs> We've talked, uh, you know, over this series about uh, the idea that the power of God comes from living in his presence. We've encouraged you to be intentional about seeking God, about asking him to fill us with his Holy Spirit, getting our spirit tanks full, not just once, but a continuous filling of the Holy Spirit so that it overflows and spills out into those around us. And then we started to look into a few of the gifts of the Spirit in a bit more detail. We shared, you know, that you don't have to have any special qualifications or, or any specific uh, history or, or anything in order for, for, to be able to be blessed with these gifts of the Spirit. But you simply need to seek God and to take a step of faith. We looked at tongues and then last week, as I've said, Ruth spoke on prophecy and, and hearing from God. And so we're going to look at one final gift before we wrap up this series. And there are other gifts. We've not covered them all. So I encourage you to go and do your own, you know, further study on these if that's something you'd want to do. And, and if you do, here are some scriptures that will help you in that. Maybe you want to write these down, grab a pen and a notepad. Have a look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Have a look at Romans chapter 12. And have a look at Ephesians chapter 4. And as you study those three chapters, you'll perhaps notice there's a bit of overlap there. But, but I hope that as you study those chapters of the Bible, that you'll get a greater depth of understanding around the gifts of the Spirit. And so today, as we uh, finish kind of delving into some of the gifts in a bit more detail, we're going to look at the gift of healing or gifts of healing is perhaps the more accurate description, but we'll get into that a little bit later on. I don't know if you've ever paused to think about this, but we have been created with natural healing abilities. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Now, I'm not talking superhero healing, the likes of Hulk and Spider-Man and Wolverine who can regenerate within minutes, but God has created us with healing powers. I remember once when preparing dinner, I was, you know, chopping up some veg and I, I cut, I sliced a piece of my thumb off. This wasn't just a tiny cut, this was an actual piece of my thumb no longer attached, no longer where it should be. And it was bleeding to the point where I had to sit down for a minute and just, 
just take a moment and you know once the color had returned into my face and I could breathe easy again you know we cleaned it up stuck a plaster on it and then after a few days you'd never have known what had happened I had healed myself I am like Wolverine obviously not but you know sometimes we can heal ourselves in that ways and then and then maybe in other times we need a little more medical attention to help the process along or or maybe ease the pain you know perhaps if you've broken an arm or a leg maybe with just a cast on your bone will begin to heal itself or then there are times when we need further medical support even jesus said that the sick need a doctor and he advises Timothy to take a little wine to settle his stomach. I'm sure a few people could take that medic medical advice. And then there are some conditions. There are some conditions where no known cure is available. And it's in those moments. Not that we can't pray for everything else, but it's in those moments where there is no other option but to turn to God's supernatural healing. Why? Because we have a healing God. Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Why don't you check out this uh, testimony from Mark? Hi guys, this is a healing testimony of a colleague I prayed for who had been suffering with sciatica for a number of months. He was in a lot of pain, limping everywhere and had to sit on the edge of his chair just to ease his pain. It continued to progressively get worse until he could no longer get in his car and drive to work. I decided I would start praying for him every day on my way to work, and I also told him that I would pray for him. During this period, he was waiting to see a consultant, and then waiting for an MRI scan. Eventually, he had the scan, which revealed that he had two discs that had bulged out and were pressing on his sciatic nerve. He was then booked in for a serious operation to trim the discs. So as part of my daily prayer, I was now commanding the discs to go back into place in Jesus' name. And I was also using the verse in 1 Peter 2, verse 24. By his stripes we were healed. Anyway, he started to improve. So I said to him, I'll continue to pray for you. At first, he was able to get a taxi for two days to come into work. And shortly after, was able to drive himself again. By the time the day of the operation came, he was completely out of pain. And the surgeon advised him not to go ahead with the operation. This all happened last year and has remained totally healed ever since. Praise God. Thanks for that, Mark. How amazing is that to go from being in such pain and needing an operation to complete and total healing and the doctors being wowed by this miracle. There is power in prayer. There is power in the name of Jesus. We have a healing God. In Luke chapter 9, it says this, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. It's important to make it clear that that spiritual healing is not about making a name for ourselves. It's not about drawing a crowd around us. It's not even about the individual being healed. 
but it's about proclaiming the kingdom of God. As Jesus began his ministry, he stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from a portion of Isaiah. We've already covered this in this uh, series, but let me read it to you again. It says this, The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and the recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He then spent the next three years proclaiming the coming kingdom of God in both his teachings and his actions. Everywhere he went, he brought good news. He was good news. Lepers were cleansed, the blind could see, people were set free from demons, even the dead were raised to life. Why? To show the glory of God, his goodness, his mercy and his compassion. You know, time and time again through the Gospels, we see that Jesus had compassion and so he brought a miracle. He was filled with compassion and so he brought healing. He healed because he had compassion for those who were broken physically, emotionally and spiritually. He healed because he loved. Jesus' purpose on earth, as we've already said, was to announce and to proclaim the coming kingdom of God. And what will this future kingdom look like? It'll be a kingdom of love and obedience to Jesus. It'll be a kingdom of love and, and mutual submission to one another. In God's kingdom, no one will be hungry. No one will be oppressed and there will be no more injustice. Everyone will be well, spiritually, emotionally, mentally and physically. When looking into this teaching around healing, it's, it's so easy to focus on the physical. But I believe that emotional healing is, is such a huge need, particularly in the world we're living in right now. You know, the rise in, in isolation and loneliness, addiction and self-harm, increased anxiety and depression across all ages, but particularly in, in young people. It's such a huge issue. Let's have a listen to, uh, to Isla's testimony about her healing. I'm not sure how many of you have been affected by addiction, either personally or through a family member or friend, but I'd like to share with you for a few minutes about my journey with it. The definition of addiction is a physical and psychological inability to stop consuming a chemical, drug, activity or substance, even though it is causing psychological and physical harm. Had I read that definition as a young person, I would not only have had no idea what the reality that statement meant, but the thought that it could never happen to me. I grew up in a home with no alcohol and never saw my parents drink. And so when I got married and had my own home, it was something that we had every now and again, but very infrequently. That continued until roughly 12 years ago when alcohol started to play a bigger role in my life. 
At that time, as a family, we were dealing with some horrific things and I began to drink at night in order to both forget what had been going on and to take the edge off the constant state of anxiety I was in. This went on for a couple of years until I was aware that it was affecting my walk with the Lord and had me questioning my faith. My faith in people, especially Christians, and my faith in the Lord that was supposed to love and protect my family. I stopped attending the church family I'd been part of since I was in my teens and was leaning on the euphoria that came with drinking in order to live each day. What I hadn't noticed was that as my faith in God was decreasing, my need to drink was increasing rapidly. It was the first thing I thought about in the morning and the last thing I thought about at night. It consumed me as, and as I continued to give in to its desire, its hold on me became so great that it took over every aspect of my life. It damaged relationships with friends, family, my husband, and most of all, my children. It changed me into someone who was always angry and bitter, someone who was deceitful and selfish, someone who stole money from their children to feed a habit, someone who allowed herself to get into situations that were unsafe, and someone who allowed herself to let her children see her in those situations. Ultimately, I was in such a bind with it all that I didn't get out of bed for weeks at a time. I just drank constantly to maintain a level of being drunk so that I wouldn't get the shakes or have a panic attack or feel hungover. My family asked me to stop, stop and offered me all kinds of help on many occasions, but it was the master of my life and it won every internal and external battle. After one of my many trips in the back of an ambulance because I was in withdrawal, I knew I had pushed my children to the end of their ability to cope with me. And when returning home, my son, through sobs of pain and fear, gave me an ultimatum. It was either them or it. And if I chose it, then I would lose them forever. I knew he meant it, even though it was an incredibly painful statement to make. And although I desperately wanted to stop, I was afraid I couldn't. I had allowed it to have complete control and had no idea if I had the strength to take control back. I tried on lots of occasions and eventually failed by giving into it again and again. So what made me think I could do it now? On the 9th of April 2019, I had a conversation with my mum on the phone. And as I cried whilst talking to her, she asked me if I'd ever asked the Lord for healing, for complete healing. I hadn't. In fact, I hadn't had a conversation with the Lord for a very long time. After our exchange ended, I got on my knees and cried out, asking God to heal me from addiction and anger and all the emotions that came with it. And as I was praying, I felt the Lord physically touch my back and take it all away. A real physical feeling. All the anger, hatred, disappointment, fear, anxiety, bitterness and addiction had gone. And as I rose to my feet, I felt free. A feeling I never, ever thought was possible. I had no desire to drink from that very moment. It had completely and utterly gone in the flick of a switch. I was so happy and relieved and wanted to tell the world what had just happened to me. Such joy and peace were now the emotions I was feeling and I knew in that moment that my life was going to be good. I've been sober since that day and not just sober but free from the once all consuming desire to drink. My life has dramatically changed in more ways than I have time to tell you about. 
but one thing I can tell you about is I now have a wonderful relationship with my children, but most of all, I have a wonderful relationship with my Heavenly Father, who continues to bless my life in so many incredible ways. He is my way maker, he is my miracle worker, my promise keeper, my light in the darkness. He is my God, that is who he is. Isn't God amazing to see such a transformation, to see such an, an instantaneous, miraculous healing from addiction in this way? It is incredible to see and to witness. And I hope hearing these testimonies that we're hearing today is, is building faith within you and, and encouraging you and, and empowering you to believe for healing. There is power in the name of Jesus. We serve a God who heals. We worship a God who loves us, who loves his creation, who longs for us to be whole. God's healing doesn't just apply to physical healing, the, the mending of the body, as we've just heard. The Bible says that the Lord is near to the brokenhearted and he saves the, the crushed in spirit. He promises peace and rest. He promises a hope and a future. You know, all of us are, are emotionally broken in some way. It's the inevitable consequence of living in a broken world. But in God's kingdom, there will be no more death, no more mourning or crying or pain. When Jesus came to, to earth, he not only announced the, the coming kingdom, he also demonstrated what it would look like. And so he called people around him, he called people into relationship with him, into relationship with one another and into wholeness of body and of heart. And then he calls us to do the same. Why don't you turn with me to Acts chapter 3 and we're just going to read the first 10 verses together. Turn with me to Acts chapter 3 a portion of scripture that many of us know uh, really well. We're going to read the first 10 verses together. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, <clears throat> to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to enter the temple, he asked, to receive arms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up, and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. 
He was a man who'd been unable to walk since birth. You can't imagine the struggle of his life. Such endless anger, sadness, frustration, unable to work. He had to rely on others to take him each day to the beautiful gate to to beg for money just to get by. And so on this day, a day like every other day, he's sitting there by the gate hoping for some loose change. And two disciples walk by. Hey guys, can you, can you spare me some change? I love how this happens. Watch, watch what Peter says. Look at us. Look at us. He didn't necessarily want the man's attention. He wanted to connect with him. How many times have you, have you walked past a, a beggar or a homeless person on the street and done all that you can to avoid making eye contact? Maybe even crossing the street. But Peter was having none of that. Look at us. I see you. I have compassion for you. He's reflecting the, the manner in which Jesus lived, connecting, caring, loving. Have you got any change? That, that element of, of expectancy from the lame man? And Peter replies, I don't have any, but what I do have, I give to you. What I do have, I give to you. Peter had something. He had something and he gave it to this man. And as a result, a crippled man was, was gloriously healed. Of course, it was God who, who healed the man because what Peter gave him had been first given to Peter by the Lord himself. Peter simply passed it on to this man, if you like. And, and it's that that I meant by gifts of the Spirit. Jesus told his disciples to heal the sick. Freely they received from God and freely they should give. It's this idea of passing something on. I believe the Holy Spirit may give gifts of healing to us as believers to then pass on to those who need healing. That doesn't mean that a person can heal everyone, which is why I think it's important to clarify God give, gives gifts of healing rather than the gift of healing. When praying for healing, it's helpful to, to remind ourselves of, of where our responsibilities lie in this process, where our responsibility begins and ends. Perhaps think of it like this. We are waiters and waitresses in a restaurant. We may approach a, a customer and say, oh, hello, good evening, what is your order, madam? And she may reply, I have a bad left knee and I would like it healed, please. And so we make a note of the request and then we take it to the chef. Because only he can cook the meal, but we are then involved in its delivery. We take the request, we receive the, the gift, and then we pass it on. Thinking of it like that, it, it, it takes away all the pressure, and actually it makes it more fun. Sometimes the, the customer may even thank us for, for such a wonderful meal. Then it's our duty to remember that, that we don't deserve the credit, because 
because we did nothing except deliver what was provided to us. We need to pass on that credit to the chef, and that is called worship. It's our responsibility to ask and to pray, and it's God's responsibility to heal. So just as the gifts of the Spirit are given as the Holy Spirit wills, so a believer is only able to heal as and when he receives from the Spirit a gift of healing for a particular individual or situation. But let's just jump back in for a moment to the purpose of healing. The purpose of healing is to proclaim the kingdom of God and to demonstrate his glory. Look at this in Acts chapter 4. After Peter healed the leper, as we already read, he then goes into the synagogue and filled with the Holy Spirit, he speaks out saying, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him, by him, this man is standing before you well. And then it says that, that many of those who heard believed and that the number was about four, no, five thousand. This healing wasn't about the individual. It wasn't about that leper, although clearly his life was improved as the, the kingdom of God was revealed to him. But the goal here, the, the benefit, was 5,000 people coming to believe in Jesus. Think of the impact of, of the healing that we heard of Mark's colleague on the doctors that had originally said he needed the operation on his friends and his family, on other colleagues within the workplace that had, had witnessed his journey of pain that he was going through and, and hearing about his need for an operation and then finding out that he had been completely healed. And then maybe they went on to tell their friends and, and their family. Yes, this man had been healed but, and blessed by that, but the ripple effect of that healing goes so much further. It's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. So how does supernatural healing take place? Well, firstly, we need to recognize that because of the work of Jesus on the cross, we can have confidence in asking for healing. It's not because of how good we are, but because of how good Jesus is. We don't earn our healing. We don't earn gifts of healing by our goodness or our enthusiasm or our work. There's nothing that we can do to, to earn forgiveness and it's the same with healing. In Isaiah it says, by his stripes or wounds we are healed. We also need to make sure that anything that we, we say or that we do lines up with scripture that's our spirit level if you'll excuse the pun we can hear stories of of people doing some pretty weird and out there things and people being healed but we need to ask ourselves not does it work but is it biblical you may have heard of uh, of smith wigglesworth an incredible man of faith from the uh, late 1800s to the early 1900s he was once asked to pray for a man with stomach cancer. 
And he took a rather strange approach to this request. As he prayed for the, for the man and for the cancer to leave, he got really excited. And in order to help the cancer on its way out, he punched the man in the stomach, knocking him to the ground. And then this man gets up completely healed. Wow. I mean, that's pretty out there. It brings a whole new definition to the term laying on of hands, doesn't it? Perhaps you're already thinking of some people that you would like to try this method out on. Don't try this at home. But just because it worked once doesn't mean it will work again. I can only assume that in that moment he heard very clearly from God before doing that act. You know, if we look at the Bible, we'll actually see that, that Jesus used a whole bunch of methods for healing people. I mean, if we just focus on healing of, of the blind, of res, re, restoring sight to the blind, Jesus has recorded uh, healing in this way three different, in three different methods. He, he spoke, he commanded the sight to, to return, he spat on the ground and, and made a paste and then put it on the man's eyes, and then another time he, he just kind of skipped the whole paste-making bit and just spat directly into their eye. So how do we know when to speak and when to spit? Well, you know, if, I mean, if we're faced with someone with a bad knee, then there's no record of Jesus doing that in the Bible. So, so then what? Well, the Bible isn't a playbook. It's not a step-by-step -step guide on how to heal. We need to use it to look at the the principles and the heart behind it rather than as techniques. And the key principle we see with all healings in the Bible is love and compassion. You know, we also know that, that Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. And so there's a focus here in the scriptures about taking a lead from the Spirit. At the pool of Bethesda, for example, this was a place where people went waiting for the waters to be stirred up, and then the first person to get into this pool would be healed. And so one day, Jesus is, is at the pool where there are crowds of people, crowds of, of sick and broken people waiting to be healed, and Jesus chose to heal just one crippled man. Why didn't he heal all of them? I believe it's because he was led by the Spirit, by the Father, to this one man. You know, we should be willing to pray for all who ask for healing. But we also need to be open to the prompting of the Spirit to pray for even those who, who haven't asked for healing. So are there some, some biblical practices that we can, we can take note of when it comes to this idea of healing? In James chapter 5, it talks about about calling the church elders or leadership to gather round and to pray and to anoint with oil. That word anoint is, is strongly connected to healing and the Holy Spirit throughout the New Testament. And oil here is, is almost certainly representing the Holy Spirit himself. We're called to pray in the name of Jesus. And that's not to say that 
that his name is, is magic, like you're waving your hands over someone. Abracadabra, you're healed. But there is power in the name of Jesus. When you do something in someone's name, it means you're acting with their approval, with their authority. We don't have the power to heal. But all authority in heaven and on earth belongs to Jesus and we are his ambassadors here on earth. That means we carry something of his authority, of his, uh, his power. And so we speak on behalf of the king. And so what about faith? What does faith have to do when it comes to healing? Does healing depend on the level of faith, either of those praying or those receiving prayer? Well, again, let's turn to the Bible, our spirit level. Jesus often said, your faith has made you well. And in Mark, we read that, that Jesus couldn't do miracles in his hometown because of their lack of faith. In Romans 10, verse 17, it states, faith comes by hearing and hearing through the word of God. You see, it's one thing to pray with, with the faith that God can heal, but it's a whole other thing to pray with the faith that God will heal immediately in this moment as we're praying. That kind of faith requires a word from God. It requires us hearing from God. Like we've said before, Jesus only did what he saw his father doing. And so we need to hear clearly from God in order to pray with the faith that the healing will come there and then. But we should always pray. We should always pray. And that's why I think it's important for us to invite the presence of the Holy Spirit when we're praying for healing, asking him to, to guide us and then watch and listen for what the Father is doing. And so we begin to put into practice some of what Ruth taught last week about hearing from God, about being in tune with his still small voice. What is he saying? Where is he moving? And then we follow his lead. Yvonne shared a testimony at Life Group a couple of weeks ago, and I've asked her to share it with us today. My mum started to suffer with Qatar when she was in her teens and this continued on for about 20 years or so. It wasn't continuous, um, it only happened when the weather was particularly hot, but as she lived in Africa it was probably a fair amount of the time. Uh, the Qatar would cause a rear to block up and she would then have to expend a great deal of effort to clear it, but of course it then blocked up again whilst the weather remained hot. Anyway, the one Sunday um, she was suffering particularly badly with it as it had been a hot spell. And she felt that God was saying to her, when the minister calls people for prayer today, I want you to go because today I want to heal you. So she went to church that day expecting to be healed. Only the minister never called anyone forward for prayer. And so she came home that day without having been prayed for. And then she spent the rest of the week wondering whether or not she'd heard God right. She was thinking, well, is it, did I make it up or... Or, or did God really say that he wanted to heal me? Um, anyway, the following Sunday, she went back to church. And partway through the service, the minister stood up. And he said, I need to offer an apology. 
Uh, last Sunday, God was telling me that we needed to pray for people who had problems with their ears. Only I didn't do anything about it. And God has really been honored me about that all week. So before we go any further, let's take some time now to pray. So if you have any problems with your ears, come now and we'll pray for you. So my mum went forward along with a couple of other people. And that day my mum was healed. Um, this was in the sort of late 80s. So from then to this day, she's not suffered any problems since. Um, so it's nice to know that God heals people, even perhaps when others are a bit slow to respond to his prompting. I love this because it, it not only shows the reality that God heals, but also the importance of hearing from God. But not only that, putting it into action. Without that minister's step of faith, the miracle, the healing may never have happened. But he prayed with faith, believing that God would heal. And Yvonne's mum also went forward to receive prayer, believing that she would be healed on that day, even if it was slightly delayed, because they had both heard from God. So they prayed with this expectancy of faith and received prayer with an expectancy that it would happen there and then. So let's get practical for a minute. If you are praying for healing, physical, spiritual, emotional, it's good to ask what they want prayer for. Now you're not looking for a full medical history here, maybe just somewhere where you can lay your hands if it's appropriate. If it's spiritual or, or emotional healing they're looking for, you might encourage them to put, your, put their hand on their heart and then begin to pray. Less is more, I say, when it comes to this. We don't need long, convoluted prayers. Speak to the healing in Jesus' name, invite the Holy Spirit to guide and to lead, and then wait. Wait. It's a good idea to pray with your eyes open, and then you can see whether God is doing anything. You know, it might look like a, they're coming to a place of peace, or, or maybe they're beginning to cry. I don't know. It depends what it is that they're, they're looking for. And then it's good to occasionally check in with them. Has the level of pain reduced? Do they feel like God is starting to speak to them maybe or, or his presence is drawing close? And then continue to pray and continue praying until you feel like the, the spirit has finished ministering or perhaps the person has had enough. And as the time of prayer comes to an end, the important thing is that the person knows that they are loved regardless of whether they are healed in that moment or not. We want to make sure that they feel valued. Don't enable disappointment or doubt when the healing doesn't come. Assure them of God's love and encourage them to continue praying. God loves persistent prayer. And so before I close, I just wanted to touch on the thought of when healing doesn't come. When healing doesn't come. You know, the Bible gives us great encouragement to, uh, to have the faith for healing. But I think many of us know from experience that not everybody is healed. And actually it's natural to wonder and to question why. God doesn't get angry when you come to him and say, why haven't you healed in this situation? And so the question comes, doesn't it? Why? Why does healing not always come? 
Well, it can be argued that, among other things, sickness of any kind, physical, mental, emotional, remains for our spiritual good. You only need to look at the story of Job where God allowed pain and suffering, or or Jacob who was left with a limp after a mighty experience with God, and Paul who had a thorn in his side uh, as a reminder not to become proud. But I think above all, above all of those things, we, we need to remember that God is sovereign, that he is the supreme authority and all things are under his control. His ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and we are in no place, we are in no place to tell the creator of the universe what to do. Even when we look at a situation and it makes us feel angry, even if we, if we begin to doubt and we begin to question, even if we are confused by, by the lack of healing in a certain situation, and I know that feeling because I went through it two years ago, almost to the day when my father passed away. This question of why didn't the healing come? But the reality is that the reason why may remain a mystery to us until we see God face to face. In 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12 it says, For now we see things imperfectly, like puzzled reflections in a mirror. But then, but then we will see everything with perfect clarity. Do you know it's not always helpful when we're in that dark place trying to wrestle for an understanding of why we haven't received our healing or or the healing of a loved one. But there's one thing we can be absolutely certain of and that hopefully should give give us peace and give us hope and that is the ultimate healing. The ultimate healing. Whilst While sickness and death entered this world because of man's sin in the Garden of Eden, God didn't leave us without a solution. He sent Jesus, the ultimate healer. By Christ's death on the cross, he he reconciled to God all those who believe. He rebuilt that connection between God and man so that we can once again be in relationship with him that we can now live in the promise that our sins are forgiven sin the root of of sickness and of death has been atoned for it has been paid for the debt is wiped clean because of the work of the cross and so while we stand in the in the knowledge that we have the forgiveness for our sins past present and future the final victory over sickness won't be until Jesus comes again. When we see healing on this earth, like the testimonies that we've heard today, they give us a glimpse into what the kingdom of God looks like. And it's encouraging, I don't know about you, but it's encouraging to me to to hear these testimonies and to, to witness God at work. It builds faith within us it draws us more and more into the presence of God 
And though although we may suffer along with the rest of creation, we wait in anticipation and expectation of that moment when the trumpet sounds and the dead will be raised and we will be changed forever. No more death, no more sickness, no more pain. That is the ultimate healing. And so I hope that you can take from this word and you can begin to apply it even this week. Remember, we are partnering with God. He can do all of this on his own. He doesn't need us to get involved, but he loves to work with us. He loves to build relationship with his people. And so he chooses us. He chooses to to use us to bring the word to bring the prophecy, to bring the healing, and ultimately to demonstrate his kingdom and his glory here on earth. And so I encourage you uh, to pray and to seek for opportunities uh, to speak into and to pray for healing this week. Do you know, no one regrets praying for healing. It's just, it's just an, another way that we can show God's love to those around us. I love this quote from Mike and Andy, and I will end with this, I promise. When compassion motivates our prayer, at best, someone is loved and healed, but at worst, they are loved. What a great outlook to have when it comes to praying for healing. Jesus healed because he loved, and that should be our motivation too. And the worst that can happen is that the person leaves feeling more loved than before. Why don't we pray? And so God, we thank you for this message. We thank you for your words speaking to our hearts. And I pray that we will remember that the purpose of all of these gifts of the Spirit is to draw us close to you and to, uh, to usher in and to demonstrate what the kingdom of God looks like. And so I pray for uh, each and every person listening and watching today that, that they will get opportunities this week and they will have the boldness and the courage from the testimonies that we have heard to begin to pray into and, and believe for healings in those people around them. And so we thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers. We thank you that you are a God who heals and we thank you that you are a God who ultimately has provided a way for the total forgiveness of sins and our total and complete healing when we meet you face to face. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.